of America, Washington, D.C., signing on. to another episode of Radio Contra, the podcast of AmericanPartisan.org and hosted by me, the Commandante of the Mossy Oak Militia, NC Scout. In this episode, I'm going to be joined by Mr. Brent Weir of the Project 22-3 Preparedness Podcast, and we're going to be talking about faith, COVID, professionalism, and getting ready for what may be a very, very uncertain future. And some of the best things that uh, both of us, in our experience, um, are focused on in our own individual preparedness. This podcast, of course, is brought to you by Jack Lawson's Civil Defense Manual, Joe Dolio's Tactical Wisdom Series, and Blacksmith Publishing. Stay tuned, folks. And welcome to Radio Contra. I am sitting here with a very honored guest, Mr. Brent Weir. He is a captain in uh, one of the larger fire departments out in Washington State, a former Navy diver and a guy that I had in class back when I was in Washington and uh, back in, what was it, May? Um yeah, it was it was made how time flies, but he is the host of the Project 22-3 Preparedness Podcast, which of course I'm a subscriber to, a regular listener to, and uh I've given you several shout-outs out there and been trying to get you on for a while, and finally we were able to sit down and make this happen. What's up, brother? Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks a lot, Matt. Yeah, man. Yeah. You know, it's, I remember back when I'm, when we met, when, when I was out there, we're doing RTO, advanced RTO and signals intelligence out in, uh, Yakima in Washington. And, um, the, the, the atmosphere of that class was awesome. First of all, that, that was just, and, and you're, you were one of those people, like everybody in there that as soon as you meet these guys, you're like, Hey, these these guys are switched on, man. And uh, one of the more fascinating things about you that that, you know, I kind of figured out up front is that you have done something that a lot of people say can't be done. You know, w- when we talk about 
you know, different regions of the United States, you know, Western Washington is definitely not one of those places where you would expect to find a lot of conservative folks, a lot of patriots, a lot of guys who are getting together, who are training for uncertain times. And you have put together this whole community of folks up there, which which are incredible from emergency service and law enforcement to special operations, combat veterans. And and you've put together all of these guys. And, and it was it was just really an experience um, that, that I was honored to to bear witness to. And, uh, you know, and, and you're up front in your beliefs as a Christian, as a patriot. Um, and, and of course you, you've got an excellent podcast as well. So breaking it all down, what got you started on this path? What, what got you started into podcasting? What brought you to preparedness and, and just tell us about yourself. Man, that's uh, those are some kind words coming from you. So I, I sure appreciate that. And I just, you know, I do give glory to God in my life. If it wasn't for him, um, I wouldn't have what I have right now. So I just, uh, thanks so much for those kind words. Um, yeah, no, that was a great class and, um, it's pretty cool. I'd encourage anybody, if you haven't taken one of, uh, the brush beater training classes, you need to get out and get those classes They're They're amazing. Um, I still keep in, in touch with the doc and, uh, and Jason and some of the other guys from the, from the class. Oh, yeah. there. I made some some relationships that, you know, th- those are carrying on, you know? And so, yeah. um, yeah. And I learned a lot. It was a good time. So we, some, we had some, some fun time, some fine Pendleton whiskey as well. So <laughs> yeah, the, I've never seen so many bottles of fine whiskey in a room. So. Oh man. Oh, I'm telling but, you, I'm telling you it was, it was great. That, yeah, that was a good time. And then, the and then, uh, our buddy from, uh, our buddy, the lawyer, you know, I'm not going to mention a name, but um, we, we've connected a couple times and done a little yeah. training and stuff. So, so yeah, yeah it was, um, so yeah, if you haven't anybody out there listening, if you haven't taken one of, one of scouts classes, you may get, need to get into those cause you learn a lot. So it was a good time, but yeah, no, I, my journey to preparedness is kind of interesting. You know, I kind of, I call myself kind of a, I was going to say city boy, but you know, it's the suburbs growing up and, you know, played all the sports in high school and stuff. And, but, you know, if you had told me how to ask me how to start a chainsaw or change the oil in a car, I wouldn't have been able to tell you, you know, my dad was a banker, but he's a great guy. But, you know, that's just kind of the, you know, the world I grew up in. Um, but as I as I got older and didn't know what I wanted to do after high school, just kind of lost a little bit. I went up to Alaska on a fishing boat for a summer and had a blast. And I don't know if it was a taste of the open seas or what, but uh, decided to join the Navy when I was 18. And, um, yeah, I, I was on, I was a submarine, a nuclear mechanic on submarines was my main job. And so I was a, I was a scuba diver as well, but that was a secondary job. So my main job was working in the engine room on a nuclear submarine, did a couple West packs. And, um, one thing I think the Navy really helped me was, was to learn how to learn and learn how to figure things out. You know, when you're working on a, in an engine room on a nuclear submarine and they're running you through flooding drills and fire in the engine room, steam line rupture, you need to be able to react to things and, and solve problems. And I really learned a lot during that experience. So I, I appreciate my time in the, in the military and uh, learned a lot through that. But as I, I married my high school sweetheart, Dana, most beautiful woman I've ever met, ended up having some, some kids and got out of the Navy. And I started, you know, thinking a little bit more about, you know, just life. And I, I found the book Patriots by James Wesley Rawls. I'm sure you're familiar with that one. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah great Animals book. And I found it. Yeah. It, yeah. I found that on my stepdad's bookshelf 
and yeah. uh, start started reading that and i'm like man this guy has got a plan he's got a group of like-minded people and you know you you go through the scenario that, that they go through with the collapse and everything and i thought man what am i going to do if something like that happens and uh later on went to read i really like reading fiction books read the 299 days series by glenn tate i'm sure you're oh, probably yeah. familiar with that oh yeah 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 it and um you know i mean you, you're you're naming off the checklist of of books that um not just highly influential to the preparedness community to the liberty community uh but books that are really responsible for bringing a large number of people to it i mean oh, yeah. you know you you're you referencing these books as kind of like the the catalyst that that brought you uh, uh you know broke you out of the matrix uh, to, to kind of use some of the the modern parlance that's out there i mean right. and that that's that's the same story for a lot of folks you, you know i mean yeah. um patriots was one of the the i would say i think it i think it may have been the first fiction book of its type that I read. I mean, there, there were certainly others. Um, there were certainly others that, that had come before it, but I think that the Patriots was the first one done in its particular way. It is it, certainly, I mean, and, and I've told uh, James this, uh, the times that I've had him on the podcast is, is that, you know, he's, he is the, the, uh, the village elder of the godfather uh, he is man he he <laughs> he is the the godfather of of the genre man there would be no uh there, there wouldn't be any of this had he not been the catalyst that that really brought it into uh what it's become man oh yeah well then not only does he have the book but then you can go to his survival blog website and there's so many resources you know the list of lists and he's been doing that for a long time. So I think somebody like him and, and, and you, that, that people that they produce this content for people, and then you have a continual, like the American partisan. And I've been, you know, looking at that, that website for years and years and seeing how it's now changed and, and grown and, and gotten more popular. There's so much good info on there. And I, you know, it's one of my daily check, you know, it's bookmarked on my, as soon as I pop up my duck, duck go. And that's the first thing on there that I click. So um, People like yeah. you, like Wesley Rawls, that they produce the content, they get people thinking, and then they give people resources on a regular basis. That's that's invaluable. Yeah. Oh, 100%, man. And, and you know, that's the goal behind it all is to wake people up, you know, and, and make them think. And, and, I mean, you know, we, we had a lot of these conversations in depth. You know, I think uh, – especially with your experience, you know, coming up in, in the fire department, uh, as a professional firefighter after the military and that, you know, the, the Navy, uh, everybody familiar with, with, uh, uh the Navy and, and the culture of sailors knows that, that every sailor is a firefighter. And so, you know, it's not by oh, yeah. accident that you find a, a lot of, uh, Navy guys going into, there's a lot of sailors that go into emergency service and, um, you know, rightfully so. And, and I think that that's always been a really cool culture, but, you know, being, being a firefighter, being a professional firefighter, being on a crew, you know, we had a lot of conversations about that. That is, I think one of the best 
backgrounds somebody can have when it comes to preparedness. Oh yeah. Well, no, I, it's, it's amazing to me. And it's, it's funny too, when I did get into it, I kind of thought, oh, firemen, you know, we're going to be fighting fires and car wrecks and stuff. And then I didn't realize that over 80% of being a firefighter is emergency medical services. And yeah. I didn't really have any knowledge of, of um, emergency medicine or, I mean, first aid, even basic. I mean, I, I knew how to put a bandaid on, but that was about it. Um, but then to be thrown into, you know, running calls on heart attack victims and people with compound fractures in their legs and all this stuff. And uh, it was a whole yeah. new thing for me. And I had to really kind of get into it. But once I, once I did, I realized this, this is pretty interesting. And those are skills. Those are skills that you take with you. Like for example, and you know, in my particular team, my group of guys, we got a couple paramedics, we got a bunch of EMTs and those guys are invaluable. I mean, it's, you know, I'll, I'll say that, uh, some of, some of the, I've known people that, uh, during this whole COVID thing that they, they got some special attention by some people that probably yeah. saved their life, um, without having to go into a hospital. And so, um, yeah, having those emergency medical skills really does, you know, help you in a broad sense as a um, prepared citizen. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, coming from the training side of the house, you know, with, with, all of the classes that are out there and, you know, that, that are tactically oriented. And of course, uh, T triple C, you know, tactical combat casualty care. There's just all this tactical stuff, right. And like the dramatic, um, gunshot injuries, blast injuries, what have you, because, you know, that's, um, people get dialed in on that stuff because it, that's kind of the dramatic, sexy stuff. But the reality is, man, is is that what you did as a firefighter, as uh, you know, everybody that's a, a paramedic working in an EMS station, all your EMTs out there, you guys see the real world injuries that are like far and away more common. You know, you're out, you're talking about running a chainsaw. I mean, how many people are going to go out, buy their first chainsaw? They have no idea what they're doing. And, uh-huh. you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, all of a sudden it's, it's like, oh man, that's uh that's a pretty heinous yeah. injury right there. You know what I mean? Chainsaw chaps. injuries. What are, are what are chaps? Why do I need chaps? Yeah. Oh man. You know, well, <laughs> and I've told this story in the past. You, you know, how many guys that, that like you and I that get too comfortable with their gear, you know, I've been running a chainsaw my whole life. It's, it's, it, you know, a chainsaw to me is like using a hammer. It's, it's, it's intuitive. You know, I, I've been doing it my entire life. And there was that one time that I got a little too comfortable and wasn't paying attention to what I was doing. And, and it was probably about five years ago. And I have this one pair of old Carhartt pants that I always wear when I'm running a chainsaw. They're double front Carhartt <laughs> pants for that reason. Uh-huh. That day I didn't do it. That's, ah, man, it's, it's a little hot outside. Uh-huh. I ain't wearing those things. <laughs> I think I heard this and, story once. <laughs> yup. Yup. And next thing I know, I, I don't know. I, I didn't, didn't use the chain break because why? Because, you know, over familiar with my gear, I'm good, no big deal, and and uh, somebody was calling for me, and I I turned, and uh, or something was going on behind me, and I turned, and the bottom of that chain, on the bar, grabbed my leg, grabbed my left leg as I turned, 
you know, and, and I didn't, I didn't get cut bad. It, it wasn't like, I mean, it, you know, it pulled a little bit of skin off. There was a little bit of blood, but it, you know, it wasn't anything I couldn't treat at home. Sure, but yeah, yeah, yeah. that was a reminder of you don't ever get over familiar with your gear ever. And I mean, how many, I mean, you know, growing up in a rural area, people getting busted up from, from farming accidents, people getting busted up from all kinds of different, different things. I mean, when, when you lead this lifestyle, it's going to happen. And your experience is way, way more valuable than, you know, Oh, treat gunshot victims. Like, I mean, those skills are important, but that's not an everyday thing. Yeah, exactly. And I was just talking to one of the guys with, on my team last night and we were, we were heading home and we were talking about, you know, the shoot moving and communicating training. And we were talking about what's, what's the most likely scenarios that we're going to face as the future goes on. Right. And there's, there's the, the, the most likely stuff. There's the stuff that, yeah, I probably could face this. And then there's the least likely. Right. And as just everyday citizens, right. Is it, you know, kicking indoors and moving as a tactical team? Um, what's the likelihood we're going to be doing that? you know, probably a lot lower than the likelihood of needing to support families with, that don't have enough food in, in your neighborhood or your community or taking care of somebody that has an emergency like that, that when 911 not showing up, you know, they're, yeah. you know, the, yeah. the, the aid car is not coming and you would not believe how many people these days can't take care of themselves. Uh, we've got on calls. We come in, they call 911, right? We come walking in, full fire engine full of guys, right? Taken off the off the line, they're not available to respond. What can we do for you today? Oh man, I got a stomach ache. Really? How long has that been going on? Oh, a couple hours, man. I think I need to go to the hospital. <laughs> okay, can you drive yourself? No, I want to go in an ambulance. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not kidding you. And it happens a lot more than you think. And so when people ha- really have a real emergency, what is going to happen to some of these people when you call with, if something big happens, there is not enough first responders, whether it be police or fire to take care of everybody, you know, and that's right. why it's like on the project two, two, three podcast, I talk about it quite a bit, be your own first responder, you know, and that's where project two, two, three came from. Um, my pastor and I, we were talking about setting up something for our church to where we could kind of help people become more prepared. And I said, Hey pastor, what are we going to do when the, you know, we were looking at shelf shortages of food on the shelves. And I said, what are we going to do when, you know, people can't get food and, and they, the people from the church come in and say, we need food. And he goes, oh, I'm not sure. He goes, well, we got some of the granola bars and the little Vienna sausages we hand to the homeless guys that come to the door. <laughs> and I said, Oh man, we're going to need more than that. And so yeah. we started teaching classes actually um, for our church and when he, he came up to me one day and he goes, Hey, Brent, he goes, you know what Proverbs 22, three says, and I'm like, ah, oh, not off the top of my head. And he goes, the wise man sees trouble and prepares, but the fool keeps going and suffers. And I go, ah, oh, that's good. He goes, he goes, get it. Two, two, three, two, two, three. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get yeah. it. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of, yeah. that's what we ended up naming our, our program. And, um, you know, and, and so training up our people. We, we teach some first aid classes at our church. We, and you know, you're kind of hitting on the, the experience of being a fireman, but everyday citizens, we can all take steps to become more medically trained. Right. And I, oh. I talk to people and they say, well, where do I start? I say, you know what, how about a basic first aid class 
or or they have first aid CPR classes. You know, the Red Cross puts those on. A lot of local fire departments. If you go down and knock on the door and say, "Hey, I want to learn CPR," you know, depending on your department, they might teach you right there, or they might send you to a, a local class for free. So there's lots of options out there for people. Yeah, you know, something something like a stop the uh, stop the bleed class. Just just simple. Doesn't have to be dramatic. You know, I mean right. the 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 classes that throw you in an unpredictable environment are always awesome where you get a lot of hands-on and, and a lot of that knowledge, you know, the, the things like, like uh, stuck pig medical and, and what Mech medical. Uh-huh. I was just going to say Mech medic. Yeah. I got his name right down here. We took one of his classes when he came up here to yeah, our neck of the woods and we had three guys from our team go out and, Oh yeah, it was a great time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's that you need that stuff. You know, everybody needs that stuff. And, you know, I want to point out one other thing, too, is is that with your with your experience, you've got a career doing this and and you still took a tactical medicine course that that blended Mm -hmm. elements of wilderness medicine, uh, tactical medicine, everything, putting it all together. You still took that class because, you know, even though you could you could sit on your high horse and say, look, man, you know, I'm a subject matter expert on this and and you are, but you still are getting out there and getting training from somebody else in the field. And that's that, that right there says a lot because that's what we need to be doing. You know, you cross pollinate that knowledge. Um mm-hmm. I think that that, that time that, that uh, people like to, to sit back and rest on their laurels and say, oh, hey, you know, I know everything there is to know about this. I mean, I don't know that that's kind of a toxic attitude. And, and granted, right. I don't see that attitude a lot, but it does exist out there. You know, so for anybody that yeah. thinks, you know, hey, man, I know everything there is to know about this particular topic. Uh, some things might take you by surprise. Um, yeah. Well, you you know, if I might, yeah, if I might, I think I learned a lot of that. Well, I got a lot of it from the Navy and stuff and that desire to learn, but, um, I had a couple mentors in the fire service and, and, uh, my driver, his name was, he went by juice, Mike Josephitis and captain Rich Schroner. And these guys were, I had the honor of being on their crew for over five years and we ran off an engine and a ladder truck. And these guys were some of the best firemen literally in the, in the region they, they ran training companies and they taught classes, but they never stopped training. They were always going after new classes. They were always going out and, and you see these guys that are already masters of their craft, yet they want to continue to train and get better. But then you see the yeah. other, you know, kind of the 80% that they sit back and they're like, well, I got the basics and, and I'm just going to kind of, you know, take it easy and, and relax a little bit. And I think that's like that in preparedness too. And I think a lot yep. of the preppers are the ones that see that you know, it's kind of like Proverbs 22, three, right? They see the trouble yep. that could come and they're wise. And so they want to be ready. And a lot of people have that normalcy bias where they think, well, you know, I'm always going to go flip the light switch and the lights will come on. I'll always turn the faucet and the faucet will come on and I'll call 911 and the fireman will show up and give me a ride to the amulet to the hospital in an ambulance. So I don't have to wait in line in the emergency room. <laughs> it's just and not going to be that way. Right. Nah, nah, man. It, it, it's, yeah, we we're and I think that that very seriously we're quickly approaching that time and you know with, with shortages we've got a diesel shortage that's coming up you know just in time for the winter they, they say you know we have 25 days or so 
of diesel fuel um, approximately. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't have any answers out of our national <laughs> leaders. I mean, you know, OK, so diesel fuel runs out. Now, ambulances aren't going to run because fuel itself of every other kind cannot be shipped because everything is is how does it get from the refinery to the processing stations to the fueling stations? How does it get there? Well, it gets there first by rail. Then once it's offloaded from the rail, now it goes into a semi and is transported a shorter distance. And then it has to be deposited now into every one of your gas stations. It's it's a trickle down effect. Right. Every uh-huh. like diesel plays a role in every one of those things. And so uh, now you don't have fuel for your ambulances. Now you don't have fuel for the the guys staffing the ambulance station or the fire department and the the you know the the ER and the doctors and you know it's it's a trickle up effect. And yeah. that's not even taking into account how, you know, how homes are going to heat this winter. You know, it's not just Europe. It's the United States, too. Like, everybody's making a big deal out of Europe. It's the United States, too, man. This is this is a crisis that is looming. You know, this fuel crisis is is looming on us and very quickly. And I think, you know, we don't yet quite understand how to process exactly the the cataclysm that we might be facing you know i pray that that it all works out and everything's fine i hope that i'm wrong because if 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 i'm wrong if you're wrong about this then that means everybody goes home happy and and we're good to go and and what do you do you 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 save a little money while you're eating some of your stored up uh rice and beans right in kansas chili (laughs) but you know what Matt, I have this vision and I just thinking about it as you're talking, but, um, it's like you see some of these videos where the, where a river starts eroding the bank of a, of the, and there's a house and there, there, you know, that house might've been 20, 30 feet back or hundred feet back. But over time, slowly that foundation starts getting eroded out and eroded out. And, and I'm sure you've seen it, you know, they have where the house is sitting there and it's all complete and the, and people are videoing it. And all of a sudden it just, the last little bit of foundation washes out and the house just collapses into the river. Right. Yeah. And I, sadly, I think that that may be what we have ahead. Um, you know, we've had it so good for so long and you look around and people think, Oh, it's always going to be great. But you look at Venezuela, you look at Argentina, you look at, mm-hmm. you know, heck even the Ukraine right now, Bosnia, yeah. the, these are countries that were not third world countries. They were, you know, they were countries where people were going to church together and living regular lives. And with the snap of a finger, things can change, you know, catastrophically. And we are, I feel like we are just so set up for a fall right now. And you see these, like you talked about these, these leaders, um, I quote leaders, it's almost like they're they're purposely doing it, and and we know what's going to happen, right? We we got the book, right? In Revelation, you can go back back in the back, and you see exactly what's going to happen. And I don't look at that as a negative; I look at that as a positive. That hey, we've been warned things are going to happen. Yeah. I believe that that the good ones, you know, we're going to be be taken out before the the major bad stuff comes. But be, until that day comes, there's going to be tough times. We know it is. It's predicted. So right. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're told over and over again, and and you know, it's it's like uh, my good friend Joe Delio says, you know, the the best oh, I love preparedness, 
Yeah, man, the, the, the best preparedness manual out there is the Bible. And, and uh, he's exactly right about that. Uh, the ultimate he, he tactical the, handbook. Yeah, he, <laughs> I mean, he was the first person to really put it that way that, that I, had, mm-hmm. I had heard. And um, yeah, he's exactly right, man. And, you know, it, it, it's and, and that's the larger point that I think is something that that you mentioned just a few minutes ago is that, you know, you got together with your pastor and the two of you were discussing a lot of different things concerning preparedness. And he brought up Proverbs 22-3. And mm-hmm. that, but the, the, the bigger point there is, is not the scripture. It's not that you were, you, you know, you, you were sitting with your pastor and you guys came up with a really cool name for a podcast. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with the fact that the church is the center of your life. The church is is the center. It, it is not something that's on the periphery. It's it is the focal point of of everything. Everything else revolves around that. And that's something that I think a lot of people have, at least in American culture, have not put a value on, have not necessarily uh recognized to the degree that that is necessary and it's something that we're going to have a very swift return to i believe i believe and you know i I find myself having this conversation a lot and uh, i was just having this conversation with someone out in uh idaho uh the, the class i did out there that i just returned from the other day and and you know we were talking about that that it at least and he, he was talking about some of the hardship that, that you know, his region uh, of Idaho and, and Utah and really the, the larger, quote unquote, readout region, to, to take a phrase from uh, James Rawls, right, is – that's right, man. That, that's right. And, and the adversity that, that they're going to face. And I said, well, you know something? One of the nice things about this region out here is that everyone is still very much tied into – the overarching religious culture, you know, and, and you have the, the strong influence of, of uh, the Latter-day Saints church out there and, and several other churches as well. But but the Latter-day Saints church in, in Utah and the um, the fact that that this the focal point of the church, regardless of denomination, the focal point of the church is community and the focal point of the community is the church. And so the, these things are are not mutually exclusive, but rather interdependent. And that's something that I think uh, a, a lot of folks of, of a prepper mindset, preparedness mindset, um, do embrace. And I think that we need to embrace it stronger. Yeah. Oh, you know, I truly believe that God created all of us to be in relationships. And the relationships are huge. And without relationships, you know, you're not going to have a healthy life, right? He, he create, he has a relationship himself, the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. You know, he created us, created Adam, right? Hey, it's not good for you to be alone. I'm going to make you a, a, a person to be with. Right. And then right. he's, you know, and he's, you know, the church, I mean, Jesus, right. He walked on the earth and what did he do? Did he walk around alone? No, he grabbed 12 guys. He had his own team. He put his team together and said, Hey guys, come on, let's go. <laughs> right. And so without right. relationships, you can have all the gear, you can have all the skills you want, but when, you know, the three uh, trucks full of escaped convicts or, you know, or whatever come up your driveway, it's going to be really hard for you to, um, 
you know, protect yourself and your, your wife and kids, um, by yourself, you know? So yeah, I love, I love Joe. He's great. I've had him on the podcast and, you know, and, and have some, had some of his books at the preparedness expo recently. And, um, yeah, he's, yeah. he's a good dude. I really, I really appreciate Joe, but no, what, what you're saying is true. And, you know, with our team, as we started, you know, we had a few guys connect and I, I feel like it was just a, it was a miracle the way we kind of connected. We originally got together through the American contingency, um, by Mike Glover, his little organization here back in 2020, yeah. got a few yeah. guys that started connecting. But as we, as we started growing and we had such close relationships, most of the guys that we started drawing in were people that guys knew and have known for a long time, but they were kind of off and not really connected. So we would bring in guys and I've got some guys from work that came and joined us and some guys from, and then guys from the church, people started seeing that the relationship that you had and the fact that you were becoming prepared, that you had skills and knowledge and they wanted to be a part of that, you know? And so we got a lot of the people from our church have joined up on the team. And then a lot of people from the team has started going to our church. So it's, it's pretty cool the way it works like that. Yeah, man. And, and it doesn't take a lot of time to build, to find and, and build a very competent community. Because one of the things that, that people always ask me, and I'm sure they, they do you as well. Well, how do you build trust with folks? Well, the first question I always have is, is, you know, how long have you lived here and, and what brought you here originally? And then from there, you know, it, it, you, you begin to, to realize certain things pretty quickly. I mean, when, when somebody is a Christian, you know, up front, you know, it, there, there's certain things that we just recognize about one another and we know, and, and you know, and, and the Christian communities like any other. There, there's great Christians out there, and then there's some that you know, eh, not you. They're just there to be there. You know, it, it's more of a social activity than anything else. And, and and I mean, that's fine. But you can recognize, real recognizes real, and and it it can happen. A community can be built, in especially in the face of adversity, quite quickly. You know, and I think your story is one very very strong example of that you know and and one of the things one of the the the, um pieces of of adversity or or adverse events that was uh you know we we talked about in depth while i was out there and and it was something that had caused you great pain in your life but at the same time you were very very upbeat about it you had a you had probably the best attitude i think that that you could have faced with a situation with it and it's one that that i think is going to resonate with a lot of people when when we start talking about the story because i've had a lot of other people in class since that literally have the same story. Uh, one of the guys out in Idaho had the literal exact same story. He had been a firefighter in California and um, was a, a senior guy. He was a wildland firefighter and had made his way up the ranks and he lost everything. And it had to do with, with the, with COVID it had to do with the, the restrictions that were being placed in, in, in the workplace professionally. And, and a lot of stuff now that's coming out that, you know, like like New York, New York uh, court in New York had a ruling just two days ago that said now everybody who was laid off in the public sector has to be rehired, that these these measures that were taken were unconstitutional and they created a hostile work environment. You know, so 
as much as you feel comfortable talking about, uh, tell us a little bit about what happened with you and, and where, how that brought you to where you are today. Yeah. Well, imagine yourself getting the, your dream job, the career that you just ultimately is the, the thing that God created you to do, you know, 20 years ago when I was, I was working construction, I had a framing crew or framing some houses and, you know, and just, you know, working every day, working really hard. Right. And, but it wasn't really satisfying me, fulfilling me. It was, it was, you know, I, I enjoyed it, but my wife was praying for me and she could tell I wasn't quite doing what I was supposed to be doing. And she came up on it at the same time I was thinking about it on the side, a lot of different things that led up to it. But she thought, have you ever thought about being a fireman? And I thought, well, what made you think of that? I was kind of thinking of that myself. And she goes, I was praying for you. And I was like, that's weird. And so I contacted my dad and he put me in touch with another guy that he had known that was a a fireman in in town here. And I started testing and, you know, they had over 2000 people apply um, and ended up getting number one on the list and getting hired within the year. And I mean, so like a miracle, right? This was a miracle. And I was doing this job and I just love this job ended up getting promoted to captain, which was pretty challenging to do at this department. And the captains on this department are just top-notch guys. I mean, these are guys that know their stuff and are, are good. And so here I am promoted to a great position in my dream job. I had a crew of guys working with me, an aid car and a medic unit with just awesome young firemen that just and, and gals that were just excited to be there. And we'd, we'd train and we just, everything was going great. And then all of a sudden, Oh yeah, you're going to need to get this jab. And uh, I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't think so. And, um, my brother, this is a whole nother story and I, he's got an interesting story, but he worked for, uh, let's, it's, uh, let's just say it's a medical, um, company that is in charge of and does the medical testing on drugs. And he could see from an insider's point of view, what was going on that these, um, you know, MNRA gene therapies were not being tested for effectiveness or safety. And so he, he, he ended up losing his job as well. He stood up and said, no, I'm not getting this vaccine and what you guys are doing is wrong. And they, uh, he ended up getting fired and, um, he, he's got a great story himself, but I, they told me, oh, yeah, you put in, put in your exemption and everything, you know, should be okay. Well, the, the department decided, decided they weren't going to accommodate anybody that wasn't vaccinated. So me and three other guys basically came down to it, stood our ground. And they coerced a lot of people that didn't want to get that shot to do it. And it was, it was very sad for me to see that. But, I, you know, I just respectfully told them, hey, I, I don't believe this is right. And I stood my ground. And, you know, one of the things talking about relationships in a team it brought me to, t- I was even just thinking about it yesterday on my last shift coming in, they were getting ready to send me home, you know, fired from, from my job. And, um, I pull up, to, we pull up into the station there at 7am in the morning from a call, last call I was going to be on. And all of a sudden I see all these people and I'm like, what's going on? And it was the guys from my team and family members and friends with balloons, like 30, 40 people out there <laughs> waving the uh, flags and, and, and saying, Hey, Brent, you know, way to go. And that just broke my heart. But just to think about the support that you have from relationships in a team, you know, you just can't, you can't replace that. But so through that whole time, it's, it's been a hard year. 
you know, I went back, got my contractor's license, went out, started swinging a hammer again and making money to support my family. But man, I'd have nights where I'd lay in bed and look at the ceiling and just think, how could, how did I get to this place? You know, why did this happen? God, I, I just pray and just tried to trust in him. Well, here just last month, they called me up and, uh, Jay Inslee's taking his mandate off for fire department, fire departments in Washington state. And, um, the city called me back and they said, Hey, we'd, we'd like to take you back and bring me on. So they're, they're going to hire me back on if everything goes, goes according to plan here might start next month. So. Well, that's awesome. That, that, that really is. And you know, your story, your experience with this is one that, that a lot of people out there, uh, are a lot of people are experiencing this and, um, you know, I can't help but feel, I mean, you, you have probably the best attitude about it that uh, of anybody that I've talked to. And, and I interact with a lot of people out there. And, and um, I can say um, one student that I had in, in Idaho that, that was the wildland firefighter. I can't say that he would have as as good a uh, outlook. I, I mean, you know, when when you see. A full grown man, you know, I mean, this, this guy, he's a hoss and, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and when he looks at you over a beer and, and you're talking about, you know, this, this topic and you can see that emotion in his eye oh, yeah. and that just that, that little bit of shake in his hand. And he just looks down mm-hmm. and says, you know, I mean, th- these people, they took from me, they didn't take a job from me. Because he, he and, and it's true. I mean, th- this guy especially, he's I can get hired anywhere doing anything. It doesn't matter. He yeah. said, but they took what I enjoyed. They took my passion from me, and that that is something that that I can't forgive. And I, I'm gonna say, man, he, he, the fact that you know you're willingly walking back on is, is one that's huge for you you for your character and. um yeah, that that says that speaks volumes about you. But there's going to be a lot of people out there that I think are going to be suing a lot of these agencies for hostile workplace. I see it coming. I mean, wh- what do you think about that? Yeah, you know that's interesting. And and just if you don't mind hitting on that 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 guy that you sat with, um, you don't do a job where you have to go in and and do CPR on somebody for 40 minutes and then tell their family member that their mom or dad just died. Um, you don't do a job where you're cutting people out of a car that their, their feet are broken off and they're, they're trapped inside there. And you're, you're out in the middle of the night in the rain with, you know, cutting them out of a vehicle. Um, you, you don't do a job like that where you, if, if you don't have a passion for it, you know, and it is those things stick with you, you know, you, you, you see a lot of death, you see a lot of suffering, you see a lot of pain and it takes a special person to do that kind of a job. And so, you know, it's, it's when somebody has that, I call it, a, it's a calling when somebody has a calling to do that job and they do it well, but then to take that away, like that, that poor guy, I mean, he's not poor, he's, but he, that, that gentleman there. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I totally understand the, the feeling that he was going through, but, um, yeah, there, you know, and that was the thing, right? I even had city officials, you know, telling me, oh, you need to sue and blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, I think things will, things will happen. Things will shake out for me personally, you know, 
um, I did that job because I care about the citizens. I care about the people that I, and the people that I work with, you know, and then moving into being promoted to a position of captain where you're, you know, in a leadership position, you know, I wanted to make every day the best day for those guys. I wanted them to be the best trained, hardest charging firemen and women that the city had. And I wanted them to go home safe at the end of their shift by being well-trained, not that they're going to shirk back from danger, but they're going to be so well-trained that they're not going to let something happen to them, you know, and that they would enjoy their day. And so that's what I really had. That gave me great satisfaction to be able to come in and do that for these guys. And so, yeah, no, I, a lot of guys, and there's a lot of the guys in the County around me, these departments started taking their people back and uh, I'd actually gone to the city and, you know, and, and asked them, said, Hey, I, you know, we're seeing all these people getting rehired and, you know, they, they took their stand where they felt like they needed to. They, they believed that, you know, according to the law that they needed to follow the the, the mandate of the, of the governor. And so I'm not going to, you know, I, I accept that. And, and I told them, Hey, I had to make the stand where I felt it was right. And I think a lot of us, especially God fearing, Liberty loving Patriots, we're going to have to figure that out these days. And Joe Dolio talks about it a lot too. And I like the courage that he shows and, and that you is that, Hey, there's going to be a line in the sand and where, where do we decide as men and women where that line is where, Hey, we're not going to put up with this anymore. We're not going to go along with these things that you're doing that are against the constitution that are against right and wrong. You know, the way our kids are being treated, the way the schools are, teaching our young people these days um there's a lot of things that are that are not right that are happening and we all need to make that decision and sometimes you have to it's going to cost you to make a stand that's just we all have to figure that out right now that that's exactly right man and 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 that's the thing that you know somebody was commenting about this on on twitter i think it was yesterday on on something uh that, that i got tagged in and they were exactly right. I, and and some of the people in, in the comments got a little salty about it. And it. I mean, whatever. Truth hurts is that COVID really um, defined or or created that line in the sand for people who are really about preparedness and, and questioning the status quo. And, you know, hey, man, you know, what are you willing to lose here to stand up on your principles and how many other people out there are just going to say, hey, you know, I don't, I really don't like this. They'll make a lot of noise, but at the end of the day, they're going to go right along with it. And that was exactly right. I mean, that, that point was was exactly right. That how many people sat back and said, you know, I, I don't really trust the stuff. I don't really trust the narrative. I'm going to sit and, you know, complain and vote Republican the next time that they, you know, they say there's going to be an election, you know, here in a couple of weeks or whatever. But th- that's that's what these people are content to do. They, they listen to the podcast or talk radio or, you know, read the websites and stuff. But at the end of the day, they're going to go right along with it because that's the convenient thing to do. That's the easy thing to do. You know, what we do requires sacrifice and how many people are willing to potentially give up their well-being for what they believe to say, hey, you know, this, this, whatever it is, whatever it is, man, how yep. many people are willing to do that? And, yeah. um, I, yep, I, I'm right. I'm right with you there. And it's interesting too. you. You really saw how many people were willing to just believe what was shoveled to them by the mainstream media 
by the medical community, by politicians, right? Oh, they're doctors. They're a drug company. They're a politician. They're the news. I'm going to believe what they say without questioning, even when it flew in the face of common sense. And, you know, I... Awesome. My youngest just started off in college. And um, the one thing I tell them, you know, and they they don't necessarily see eye to eye on everything I, I tell them, right? But I tell them, I really want you guys to think for yourself. Like, right. look at what you're being told. Look at what they're pushing at you and say, is this right? And, right. and do your own research, right? And, and all of us as God-fearing, liberty-loving Americans, we need to think, is this, is what they're telling us true? And do some research on our own and not not just take what they're they're shoveling out there. You know, and also too, thinking about um having that courage. I think about like one of my podcasts was um Don't Be a Lone Wolf, three ideas for building a like-minded community. And you kind of talked about it. You hit on the local church, right? Um, we just put out a an action item for our team and it's hey, everybody this week, go meet one neighbor you haven't met yet. Um bring them some cookies or a, you know, a, a cake or some flowers, say hi to them, offer your services to, if there's an emergency and, and get to know them a little bit. But we, we need to work on building, starting off with their families, but then our communities being more self-sufficient, being like-minded, building those relationships so that when these things come, like people losing their jobs or, um, you know, politicians taking us in the wrong direction that we have other people that we can connect with. And, you know, that one of the things you talked about, what is it these people say, well, I can't get together, meet people, and it doesn't seem to work out. One thing I tell people is that if you want to build a team, if you want to build community, right, have it, whether you call it a mutual assistance group or a, a cert team or a neighborhood block watch, whatever you want to call it, right, neighborhood protection plan, right, like Jack Lawson talks about and the yeah. civil defense manual but um if if you're being called to be a leader and to start something like that it's going to cost you and and right. you're going to have to do a lot of serving and you may not get back what you put into it but that's the that's the call of leadership that's what somebody it, and you need to you need to be willing to give and say hey I'm no matter what I get back I'm just going to keep giving and giving and giving and I know that you've done that over the years with American Partisan and the brush beater training and stuff. You go out, and you, you train these people and you put out all this content. You know, I'm fortunate to be a supporter on Podbean and I get the lessons from the farm podcast. And I listen to some of those three, four times, you know, with all that great information that you're putting out there. Thanks, um, bro. But but for for to put out to take whatever skills and talents that you have and to share those. Right. We know the story from the Bible, right? We're. You know, the, the right. guy with these different guys were given the talents and they said, OK, what are you going to do? And the one the couple guys go out and invest theirs and one guy hides his. Right. He hides it in his, in his bunker, <laughs> right yeah. in his can yard or whatever yeah. you want to call it. Right. You know, yeah. and uh, but and he and then they come back and I say, well, what did you do with the talents you had? And they said, well, you know, hey, we invested theirs. And then they got blessed by doing that. But the guy that hid his talent that didn't share what he had, that just kind of hoarded it for himself what happened to him, they took it away from him and he lost everything. So right. I think about that when it comes to, you know, building a team, building a community and it, it's, it's costly, you know, and, but I've been fortunate to meet a bunch of guys that as I've given, they give back more than I can give them, you know, and you end up surrounding yourself with people that are like you. And if you're a giving, sharing person who serves others, you're going to attract those kind of people. 
Oh yeah, 100%. And you know, when I was out there in May and hearing uh you know you and and some of the guys that are are part of your group talk about some of the awesome training events that you had put together. I mean, dude, going up into the Olympic Peninsula and and you know, basically having a, a 3-day primitive survival and small unit tactics all all put together this is like this is like hollywood movie kind of stuff and and you guys are doing that and and you're doing it of your own accord you know you're you're out there you're doing it on your own i mean to me like i've got this huge grin on right now because that is that it's the most reassuring thing in the world is that people are doing this stuff i know folks in the northeast that are doing this i know guys here in the carolinas that are doing that i know people in the midwest that are doing it in the western states that are all doing this and they're getting together and they're doing this stuff and they're they're taking they're not just buying stuff they're not just you know, hoarding up canned goods and MREs and freeze-dried food and some ammo and whatever. They're getting out and they're learning things and they're doing stuff. But the most important thing that they're doing is they're building a functional community while they're doing it. And yeah. coolest thing in the world. Yep. Yep. And the more that the more that you give and the more that you share, other people that inspires people to share. You know, we got to. We got a guy on there. I did a podcast with him. He's, we call him Bug Eater, Rescue Rob. But uh, he was a he was a survival <laughs> instructor in the Air Force, you know. Yeah. And and he comes in and he talks to us about snares and about shelters and and the survival mindset, you know. We've got a a guy that was 28 year Navy SEAL, um, and uh, Navy SEAL Mike, and he is just an awesome dude. And he he teaches us all kinds of cool stuff and mindset and training. Um, we got another guy, um, my friend Bryce, he's from, he has a company intrepid tactics uh, out of, out of Western Washington here and does firearms training. And, and so just all kinds of cool stuff going on. And you just, you know, you just start attracting these people as you step out, as you serve, give what you have, that little talent you have. And it's funny cause we'll get a guy that'll be like, Oh man, I don't feel like I've got as much to offer, you know? And, 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 um, you know, you guys are doing this and that, and this and that. And I'm like, well, dude, what are you talking about? You are the you know, the, the, you operate heavy equipment. Like, you know, you, you, you and your wife bring up, brought over a meal when my wife was sick with COVID you guys came over and just, nobody, you didn't even ask. You just brought over this huge meal for us. I mean, it was a total blessing, you know, and people don't think they have much to offer, but it's like that, that story in the Bible, right? Just that yeah. one little talent you have, you know, if you hoard it or if you think it's not worth something and you don't share it, then it's going to be taken away. But if you just give the little that you have, Boy, people appreciate that, right? Yeah, man. Uh, 100%. 100%. I mean, a lot of people in this community think that, you know, oh, you you have to have this type of background or that type of background or, you know, you, super cool guy, whatever. And for I would say, like, for maybe a couple of topics out there, yeah, you, I mean, in order to teach small unit tactics, you, you kind of have to have been there, done that. I mean, you know, but for a lot of other stuff, man, I mean, how many people out there, so like, perfect example, how many people out there know how to cook food over a campfire? Like, some something as simple as that. Like, it sounds <laughs> mundane. Until you go out and try and do it and you've never done it before and you you end up with 
you know, burned, charred on the outside and raw on the inside, whatever it is that you're eating. You yeah, know, my it, Teflon and for my kitchen's not working too well over this fire. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, simple, simple stuff. You know, how to sharpen a knife. How to sharpen a chainsaw. Mm-hmm. We're talking about chainsaws. and I mean, how yep. many people know how to set the teeth on a chainsaw properly? I mean. Yeah, well, that was one of our classes we did. Or it's coming yeah. up. We had to postpone it. But one of our guys was had done some logging. His name's Greg. And, and he's going to teach us a, a chainsaw class, show us how to, you know, deal with down logs and, and cut yep. safely and stuff. So, yeah, those are all, all great skills. I mean, it, it's stuff like that that, you know, you – Everybody seems to take this stuff for granted until you need it. And then it's it's like, oh, man, you know, we got to find the, the expert on this all of a sudden. And it's like, <laughs> you know, it, uh, a lot of these things, I mean, simple stuff. Cooking is a big one. Sanitation is a big one. I mean, that sanitation is huge. Um, I yeah. think there's going to be a lot of people when you know unfortunately when when the real tough times that are ahead uh start start to to uh rare up on us that i mean there's going to be a lot of people that get very sick from dysentery i just see that coming um you know cities that the the basic water sanitation system ends up going down for a shortage of fuel or shortage of manpower or you know what have you um and and now all of a sudden, you know, I mean, the, the story coming out of the Navy, you know, the 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 big story from the Navy for the past really over a month. But the past couple of days, it, you know, one of the aircraft carriers, it didn't mm-hmm. just yeah. have contaminated water in it, its, its fresh water system. There was actual sewage in there as well. Yeah. And that's. I mean, you know, it, it, there could be a multitude of, of vectors that, that cause that problem. But at the end of the day, I mean, I know that there's specialists that could have figured that out, you know, or, or should have been able to figure that out. We had that we had that happen to us in Iraq uh, on my first deployment. We had bottled water that was being supplied to us that had petroleum in it. And, you know, we could taste it. What are you going to do about it? That was our source of fresh water. And now all of a sudden, you know, we're getting sick from it because, you know, ingesting just a little bit of petroleum gives you dysentery and, um, you know, drinking that contaminated water. And, you know, who, who knows what the long term effects of that were, you know, I mean, whatever it when my when it's my time, it's my time. But yeah. it's it's simple things like that. It, it's simple things yeah. like, uh, you know, can you boil your own water? Do you know how to do that? Do you know how to build a, a cook fire versus a fire for warmth? Um, simple, simple stuff. And you don't need a cool guy, you know, door kicker, head hunter background to to do all this stuff. You, you just don't. Well, I know, and I know you understand what a pace plan is. A lot of people don't, but we talk about that quite a bit. Project 223, right? Is that, you know, started off with comms, right? Primary alternate contingency and emergency and we try to take that into each one of our areas whether that be medical or communications or personal protection you know food water right what's your primary source what happens if that goes away what's going to be your alternate source right and and you know this you've talked about it and taught it and right if that alternate source goes away do you have a contingency plan 
And when all else fails, what's your last resort emergency? So yeah, we, we talk about that as a group when we train, we have, you know, communications plans, we have, you know, plans for people, you know, for, for heating and for electricity and stuff. And, and it's funny too, because you don't even need the big one, whether it be a earthquake or an asteroid strike or the alien invasion, right? But even just the power going out for, for our group and the benefit of being part of a team, we had a, a brother that his his family and his his dad to live a couple houses down, they lost electricity for multiple days. A bunch of guys brought over some generators, got the power up in their house, right? Um, another guy's uh, daughter's car slid off the road into this big irrigation ditch, and you know, and and so we had the team six guys showed up, a guy with a winch pulling it out, a couple guys with vests on and flares. The county sheriff pulls up and looks at us and goes, "Looks like you guys got this under control. You want some more flares?" And <laughs> took off. Yeah, but, you man. Know, yeah, it was, it was awesome. But see, even just in times, normal times, to be able to have that team and people around you that can help you out is is important um not to mention when the stuff hits the fan that's right that's right brother so brent project 223 preparedness we are coming up on the hour having a conversation right i could i could sit and literally talk to you all day i mean it it's it's like talking to an old friend man and um honors mine Hey, nah, definitely, definitely mine, brother. Thank you for being with us. Project 223 Preparedness on Podbean. You are on all the platforms, right? Yep, yep. You should be able to find us there. Just type in Project 223 or the Project 223. It'll pop up. Podbean is uh, is the main host there, and they got a they got a great uh, great thing going on there. But you can get me on Apple and Google. If you type in just Project 223 all together in one word on the Google podcast thing it'll pop up too i don't recommend google but uh, if you're looking for it <laughs> right it's it's unfortunately that's that's a lot of people's first avenue of approach and it just yep. is what it is but it's definitely out there folks show them some love get some follows brother thank you for being on with us god bless hey thank you so much the pleasure was mine and uh, appreciate talking to you today